Support for the Double Dome podcast comes from the Sorrell College of Business at Troy University, where students become geeks, an acronym for globally aware, ethical decision makers, engaged with the business community, knowledgeable to compete, and successful in business and life. More information at troy.edu slash business. Represent the viewpoints of individual authors or contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of Troy University. This is eConversations, a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dan Sutter. Hello and welcome to eConversations. I'm your host, Dr. Dan Sutter of the Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University. Slavery was a moral abomination and a great stain on the history of the United States, a nation founded on equality and freedom. The Civil War brought enormous death and destruction to our nation, but resulted in emancipation and the end of slavery. What, if anything, should our nation do today to rectify this wrong from the past? This question drives the current debate over reparations for slavery payments from the government to compensate for this wrong. Is this debate merely about using government money to buy votes, or is there an injustice that could be reasonably and properly addressed? Join me on eConversations today is Dr. Walter Block, who's the Harold Wirth Eminent Scholar at Loyola University in New Orleans and a senior fellow with the Mises Institute. Dr. Block is a distinguished Austrian and libertarian economist. He earned his PhD in economics from Columbia University, and prior to Loyola, taught at Rutgers University, Baruch College, Holy Cross, and the University of Central Arkansas, in addition to also working as an economist with Canada's Fraser Institute. He has written or edited over 25 books and authored hundreds of academic journal articles and opinion pieces. Welcome to eConversations, Walter. Thanks for having me. Good to be with you, Dan. We want to start with a, a piece that you wrote uh, on this question of reparations a, a few months ago, and, it, and you had a very great, uh, I, I thought, uh, it struck me as a great example to, to lead off with this, uh, talk about the idea of a, a stolen watch and how that relates to the, the reparations debate. So if, if you could take a moment to ex explain this uh, perspective on the, the debate. Yeah, well, suppose my grandfather stole your grandfather's watch. And then what my grandfather did with your grandfather's watch is he gave it to his son, who is my father, and then my father gave it to me, and now I have this watch. And uh, it's still got your grandfather's picture on it, so there's no question that it was a stolen watch. Well, now what should happen? Should I go to jail? No, uh, I'm not really a thief, although I'm a holder of stolen property, but I didn't realize it. I, the, the, the picture of your grandfather is indistinct, and let's say I'm innocent. But now you come along and you say, hey, Walter, I, I noticed your watch. My great grand or my grandfather had a watch just like that. Um, could I see it? And I show it to you. And then you say, hey, that's really my watch because your grandfather stole it from my grandfather. And let's stipulate that there's no dispute as to the facts. We agree on the facts. Well, should I keep the watch or should I give it to you? Well, it seems very clear to me that I should give it to you. And uh, justice would require that I give you the watch. The, the government doesn't get involved at all. I just give you the watch, and now justice has been done. A little belatedly, but, you know, what the heck? You didn't discover this until now, and, and uh, that would be the situation. Now, in slavery, 
what happened is that uh, the slave master stole something from the slave. Stole, stole his labor, stole his dignity, stole uh, uh, lots of stuff. Uh, I mean, it was a despicable situation. And and now it comes the question, well, uh, should uh, any um, reparations be made similar to the wristwatch? And there are two schools of thought. The extreme right wing says, no, 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 no reparations. And the extreme left wing says, yes, 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 all whites owe all blacks reparations. Mm -hmm. And I think that the proper libertarian issue is neither. It's neither uh, that no reparations at all are owed, nor is it that um, all whites owe all blacks uh, money or, or land or whatever or anything. Why do I reject uh, the first case, the right-wing case, the extreme conservative case? Well, because there was theft, and we libertarians believe that whenever there's theft, uh, there's no statute of limitations on theft. I mean, there's a natural statute of limitations, and that is that the burden of proof is always on uh, – possession is nine-tenths of the law. So the burden of proof is he who wants to get reparations. but. Uh, but I think it's unfair. I mean, if it was 5,000 years ago and you can prove that your grand, your great-great-great-grandfather uh, had his watch stolen, uh, so what? I don't care if it's 5,000 or 50 years ago. It doesn't matter. As long as you can meet the burden of proof. Now, it's true that there's a natural statute of limitations, namely the further back you go in history, the harder it is to prove anything. Right. But if you can prove it, uh, then you know you should be compensated. So I reject the right-wing view. I also reject the left-wing view that all whites owe all blacks reparations because uh, there are many reasons for this. First of all, slavery started with blacks in Africa. One black tribe uh, enslaved another black tribe and sold the slaves to the whites. So there were bad blacks in, in the sense that uh, great-grandfather blacks were, were thieves. And then there were even um, black slave owners in the United States. Mm -hmm. So they should pay or their grandchildren should pay and, and not be pay, be paid. Then there's the question, I'm Jewish. My uh, folk came uh, to this country in, in 1905, which was long after the demise of slavery. So why, you know, why should I or, or my grandparents owe anything? The Irish people came afterward. Uh, a lot of people came after slavery and a lot of blacks came after slavery. Uh, from the Caribbean, from Africa. So why should they be owed anything in the U.S. context? So I reject both sides. And a lot of times libertarians reject both the right and the left. Yeah, now, just sorry to get into this. One thing that is particularly, I thought, great about your, your perspective there is that so often the uh, left-wing approach, uh, the progressive approach to reparations is just viewing this in a, a completely in collective uh, racist, uh, racial justice perspective where you've got one group who have one race did something bad to the other in the past. But if you, but there is a basis to think about, as you said, the injustice that happened here at the individual level. There were some individuals, and they create, they did this tremendous violation of human rights to seize other people and and, and hold them as property. And, and so, if if we begin with that and understand that there were some individuals who did this terrible ter thing, and others who were victimized by that, we can sort of see like there is like an individualist as opposed to uh, racial justice or collectivist. Uh, 
approach to, to this, this problem. And, and so there is possibly something that we want to uh, try to address. Absolutely. Look, suppose there's some guy in Harlem and, um, and there's somebody in Louisiana, pick my state. I, I'm a professor in Louisiana. And this black guy in Harlem uh, has a Bible or has some proof that his great-great-grandfather was a slave on this Louisiana plantation. And he comes to the court and he says, um, what should have happened in 1865 was that we have uh, ex post facto law. What's ex post facto law? Ex post facto law is we declare things illegal even though they were legal at the time. Uh, the Nuremberg trials in uh, in Germany w was an exercise in ex post facto law, namely uh, the German defense was we were just following orders. You're supposed to kill Jews. You're supposed to kill blacks. You're supposed to kill gays. And what the Nuremberg trial says, well, you know, we don't think so. We think that that was improper and we're going to um, uh, punish you even though you obeyed the law. And we, we concede that that was the German law. Well, up until 1861, say, uh, it was legal everywhere to have slavery. And yet we are now, we libertarians are going to impose ex post facto law and say that even though it was legal then, we think it never should have been legal and we're going to act as if it never should have been legal. So what should have happened in 1865? What should have happened is that the slave owner should have not going to jail, but should have been made a slave of the ex-slaves. That would be the radical view. Uh, and certainly all of his property, since he's a slave, uh, all of his property is uh, no longer his. It should have been given to the slaves to compensate them. That's where you sort of get this 40 acres and a mule stuff from, because that was roughly the approximation. You know, uh, let's say this slave owner had a plantation of, um, I don't know, um, 100 acres and there were 10 slaves. They should have got 10 acres mm -hmm. and and. Uh, one-tenth of the mules and one-tenth of the farming equipment and, and all that. Okay, so here's this black guy from And what he does is he uh, goes to court and says, um, my great-grandfather was a slave on this plantation. There were 10 slaves, and I want one-tenth of this plantation. And I think he should get it. Mm -hmm. or, or the money, uh, the value of it. Uh, th that would be a, a complication as to, you, you know, it might be difficult to give him, you know, 10 acres in the middle of the plantation, but in some way he should be compensated, but not from the government, not from taxes, because we all pay taxes, rather this guy uh, whose grandfather was the slave owner, uh, and he should give uh, the value of, say, one-tenth of that plantation to this guy, a black guy in Harlem, and I think that would be justice. So we, we reject the the right-wing view that says no reparations at all. We reject the left-wing view, and we have an individualist view, which is um, uh, compatible with libertarianism. We're individualists, and that would, I think, <clears throat> be justice. Now, when we think about the, the injustice that happened, it seems like we've, we've talked, you've mentioned a little bit about the, the value of the, per, uh, the slaves' labor that was taken from them. I mean, you know, there is also the fact that the, they lost their freedom, their dignity, their autonomy, the horrible stories of uh, slave families being to torn apart because uh, the master wants to sell one uh, slave away. There was that horrible human-like uh, loss of freedom, but that's the one where uh, it's sort of like, Barring a time machine, it's not clear how how you, how you could compensate that the people who were truly deprived of their their freedom, 
uh, for that. So I mean, it, as much as we might look at that part of the injustice, it's hard to see after more than 150 years later there, how there's much that can be done. I mean, you know, depending on one's view of a, an afterlife or anything, maybe they've been uh, compensated, they've received some compensation uh, in, in the intervening years. But I mean, there's, there's not much that it seems that we can do here, as unfortunate as it might be, because you'd be giving money to people who, who didn't have their autonomy and freedom and dignity taken away from them. They've never been held as slaves, so it's hard to compensate the actual victims in, in that case, right? Absolutely. You can't get blood out of a stone. And um, uh, the, what is it? The perfect is the enemy of the good. We can't do perfect justice. We, we can only do the best we can. I mean, 150 years have gone by. What can you do? But the owner of that plantation, the great-grandson of the slave owner, is innocent. He didn't engage in slavery, he, which is kidnapping, uh, in effect, or long-term kidnapping. Uh, he's innocent. All he owes is what, what he never should have gotten. Now, if there are 10 guys from Harlem, say, uh, each of them can prove uh, that they owned, uh, that uh, their grandparents were slaves, well, then the whole kit and caboodle has to go to those 10 guys. Uh, the, the 10 black grandchildren. And and this guy never should have got that in the first place because in 1865, what happened is that his grandfather kept that plantation. Right. He never should have kept that plantation. And justice, to the extent that we can now impose it uh, this late in the, in the day, uh, consists of undoing that based on this um, fact that it was an unjust law that allowed slavery in the first place. Now, one issue that would arise here that I think that might be relevant is, is the idea we have had like 150 years in, in between here. If somebody had been compensated uh, 100 years ago or 150 years ago, we know that fortunes can be won and lost. And, and so there are, you know, we have a numerous intervening generations here to sort of say like, if your great grandfather had received this compensation, there's no guarantee that wouldn't have already been lost. So there have been no inheritance to, to, to come down to you today. Um, so, you know, sim simply, is there any you know, issue here that you see with this in, in terms of like, well, we, you know, we simply don't know who would have uh, ended up with this money, especially in a dynamic economy. Somebody could have invested in the wrong business. They, they, they could have lost all of their money. Uh, so who knows what, what the path of the, the trickle down of that wealth over the course of generations might have been? Yeah, money is very difficult. Land is a lot easier. I mean, there were 100 acres in this uh, plantation. Uh, usually plantations were bigger than that, but 100 is a nice round number. And uh, the land sits there. So you don't have any problem with present discounted value of money and interest rates and, and money uh, put in the bank for 150 years. And even you know 2% is going to amount to a lot more now. But we can sort of cut through all of that and, and mainly look at the land because it was the land that the uh, slaves worked on. And according to John Locke, the way you get to own property is to mix your labor with the land. Well, who was mixing his labor with the land? Was it the, was it the plantation owner or the overseer? No, it was the slaves. So in justice, the slaves own that land. And, and with land, it's a lot easier to see. Uh, you're, you're quite right. When, when you start talking about money, well, he could have invested it this way and he could have gambled it away and, and you get in all sorts of complications, um, which I suppose it's important to talk about that too. 
but the, the main uh, impetus or, or the main lesson I think that the libertarians have to offer both sides is this individualist um, uh, reparations, namely uh, that land he, the, he never should have kept, the slave owner never should have kept, and he never should have been able to give it to his kid, to his kid, and, and now the present owner in Louisiana, say, or South Carolina or wherever it is. And by the way, there was slavery in the North as well. So, uh, so this applies wherever there was slavery and whatever uh, the burden of proof can be met. Now, and another issue here would be that as we look across, um, as we look back in, in U.S. history, I mean, we certainly we fought a civil war to, that helped end slavery. And so is there any issues that you see in terms of like if somebody could say, well, my great, great, great grandfather fought in the civil war on, on the Union side to try to help end slavery and, and was killed, in that, and so, you know, is is there any uh, offsetting element of like having like, you know, not only were your your, your parents not, uh, or maybe that you have, maybe in your in your family tree you've got some slaveholders, but also some uh, Union soldiers who who fought and died for the cause. I mean, it, it seems like we get into a lot of a lot of pretty difficult com uh, questions here. Oh boy, do we! And and there were brothers fighting on both sides uh, against each other. Uh, you know, one brother Joe was fighting Pete, and they were brothers, and and they were shooting at each other. It was just a horrible situation. But I, I want to take issue, maybe uh, do a little pushback. I don't believe there was a civil war in 1861. A uh, civil war, my understanding, is each side wants to run the whole country. The Spanish Civil War was a civil war because the commies and the fascists each wanted to run Spain. The Civil War of 1917 in uh, Russia was a civil war because the, the White Army and the Red Army each wanted to run the whole place. More accurately, uh, what happened in 1861 was not a war, a civil war because each side didn't want to run the whole place. The North wanted to run the whole place, but the South just wanted to secede. And by the way, there was slavery in the North. Uh, as well. So you can't say, well, it was fought to end slavery because it was slavery throughout the whole country. And uh, Abraham Lincoln, um, I, I owe this to Tom DiLorenzo, a colleague of mine, once said, paraphrase, uh, if I, I want to save the union, that's what I want to do. I want to save the union. And if the best way to save the union is to end slavery, I'll end slavery. And if the best way to save the union is to keep slavery, I'll keep slavery. So it, it, it's, it wasn't um, a, a war to end slavery, it was a war to end secession. Now, happily, it ended slavery also, because from a libertarian point of view, slavery is an abomination. I mean, it's maybe the second worst thing after mass murder uh, that human beings can do to each other. So happily, uh, slavery uh, did end then. Um, so I, I, that would be uh, my reaction uh, to, to that point that you made. Let, let me bring up another issue here, and there's a Duke University economist, um, well, William Darity, is very uh, prominent as a, 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 among economists as a voice in, in favor of, of reparations. And he points not just to the uh, Civil War or the failure to uh, it, compensate the freed slaves uh, in, in 1865. He also points to uh, uh, the history of Jim Crow and, and other cases. There were definitely some instances of, of economic uh, uh, aggression against blacks after the end of World War II. I mean, the Tulsa massacre was one, you know, often really sort of sparked almost by the, uh, the success of, of Black Wall Street in, in, in Tulsa. 
uh, and then uh, following all the way through to uh, redlining with uh, uh, you know, discrimination in housing after World War II that helped, that helped keep uh, black families from buying houses that were going to appreciate in value and so forth. Do you see these offenses or, or uh, actions after uh, the Civil War as, as part of this equation? And how might we approach this? Would we want to actually try to pro uh, uh, address things separately or, or lump it all into to one, uh, one problem that has, has to be uh, tried to addressed? Well, that's, that's a can of worms. That's, that's a, a very important question. And I would divide it into two. I would say that the uh, Jim Crow legislation was totally unjustified. Uh, it uh, acted invidiously against black people. And the people responsible for that should be sued. And they're all gone now, but their children have that they shouldn't have had because these people should have had their wealth taken away from them because they should have been in prison for doing that, right? In other words, uh, I'm a legislature, a legislator, and I am responsible for uh, Jim Crow legislation, and that is a crime from the libertarian point of view, and uh, I bequeath uh, my possessions to my son. Well, he, I shouldn't have been bequeathing anything. I should have been put in jail for for passing Jim Crow legislation in the first place. Okay, so that's one, one answer. And, that, and then whatever else uh, follows. Black people who were hurt by this should be able to sue my son or my grandson uh, for their wealth. But now the other question is uh, racial discrimination. And here I'm guided by three economists, uh, Gary Becker, my PhD dissertation advisor at Columbia, uh, by Thomas Sowell, and by Walter Williams. And I have to brag a little bit. Uh, I am, I think, the only co-author of Walter Williams. I, I think, I'm not sure. But I am a co-author of his, and I don't think he co-authored anything with anyone else. And what these three people say, and what I think all good economists say, is that discrimination is impotent to hurt the target of discrimination. And therefore, no compensation is owed. For example, we, we pass a law saying that, um, I don't know, um, uh, black people can't uh, 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 make a certain amount of money or, or we have a minimum wage or, or something like that. And, uh, and then what happens, let's say right now everyone is making $10 an hour. Uh, and, and now we have a law against black people in the labor market, and this shifts the demand curve for black labor to the left, and now black people are making $7 an hour. Well, if everyone is making $10 an hour, uh, we have a theory, marginal revenue theory of productivity, namely that wages tend to reflect marginal revenue product. And the black marginal revenue product is the same as it was before the law. The, the law doesn't change for marginal revenue product. Uh, so now if you hire a white person, you make no profit, which is fine in equilibrium, there are no profits. But if you hire a black person, you make $3 an hour. So it's going to undermine uh, that sort of a situation. So I don't think that the uh, reason that black people make less money than white people is due to discrimination. Again, based on the um, uh, work of um, uh, Gary Becker, who won a Nobel Prize, and Thomas Sowell and Walter Williams, who should have won Nobel Prizes but didn't. Um, uh, and, and I think just based on basic economics, that, that uh, the re refusal to deal with somebody is not a rights violation. 
look, you have a yellow tie. I hate yellow ties and I'm going to have nothing to do with you. Did I violate your rights? No. I'm, I'm, but I'm, I'm discriminating against you because you have a yellow tie. And if a lot of people discriminate against you because you have a low, yellow tie, well, your wages will tend to go lower than they otherwise would be. But then you'll be more of a bargain. Mm -hmm. So other people will, will hire you and you'll be back where you were before. So the discrimination against yellow tie wearing is um, impotent to, to really hurt you. So if you want to find out why blacks earn less money than whites, you have to look elsewhere. Recently, the state of California, and then I think also the city of San Francisco, have had uh, panels to I investigate reparations. And one of those, this really strikes as, as, as kind of odd because California was not a slave state. There was no slavery that we know of uh, in San Francisco because I mean, those were settled relatively late before the, you know, the, the start of the Civil War. Um, if a government, at some level, you could look at the governments of, of uh, Louisiana, Alabama, other states where there was slavery and say there might still be some, some liability here. If slavery didn't occur in California, is there really any justification there uh, for, for like the state of California trying to jump in and, and uh, give reparations from the state? Well, I'm only kidding in this response, but I think we were talking about uh, secession before. I think we ought to secede, not all of California, but just the West Coast of California, uh, kick them out of the country. Uh, they're crazy. I mean, not just on this issue, although they're certainly crazy on this issue, but on so many, many more issues. Uh, I mean, they're just a bunch of uh, left-wing maniacs. Not all of them, not 100%. <laughs> there are libertarians and, and non-progressives. I don't think they're progressive. I think they're regressive, but that's another issue. Uh, I, I think this is grotesque. It's just stealing money from people to give to black people. Yeah, because I mean, just in my mind, it, it, it really makes a mockery of the whole idea that there there were acts of injustice, and and, and we you know perhaps we need to as best we can, 150 years after the fact, go back and try to do what we can to make up for for acts of injustice. Yeah, you know, to simply turn it into like okay, we're going to give government money, which ultimately is taxed away from other people. I mean, yeah, it, it, we're, we're going to give it to some selected citizens and not others. It, it's really sort of like using this uh, as, as sort of a cover. And, it, and like I said, I mean, to my mind, it, it sort of really undermines the, the whole moral force of, of the, the, the question here. Yeah, I think the government should be colorblind. Uh, I, I know that the lefties hate that word colorblind, but colorblind seems to be to be um, uh, an aspect of justice. You just look at people as people and uh, the color of their skin or their pigment uh, should be irrelevant to uh, any of this. The point of make out to raise as well, because I mean, from a libertarian perspective, there's sort of like why find the whole racial justice and, and thinking of this all in, in racial terms uh, so offensive is that you're looking at collectives or groups of people as opposed to individuals. And I think, you know, libertarians would, would be particularly be, uh, you know, emphasizing you need to judge people as individuals. And, you know, and that's sort of like what the market, you know, how it undermines discrimination is by looking at the workers as individuals and realizing this person's uh, marginal revenue practice is just as high as this person's. You know, I, I, I want to hire the one that's uh, not being valued properly in, in the market. And so, you know, it's, it's just this whole thing of making sure we focus on in individuals as opposed to groups.
I couldn't agree with you more. So let's see, we only have a little bit of time left, so I just think any, uh, anything that we haven't gotten to today that, that you'd like to, to share with us on, on this perspective, on this topic? Well, I think it's very important to promote liberty and, and libertarianism because this is a very contentious issue. And I think that we libertarians have something to contribute that neither the right nor the left has to contribute. And all too often we're conflated with the right. People think libertarianism is just a, a branch of right-wingism. And the Federalist Society is sort of is guilty of this. And I don't mean in a bad way. They are very nice that they allow libertarians among them. But people get the mistaken impression that, that we're part of the right wing. We're not part of the right wing. We are unique. We are uh, sui generis. We are uh, the only people who have our finger on, on the pulse of justice, the, the right wing and the left wing. I mean, the right wing is okay on, on economics, not too bad on economics, but horrible on personal liberties. The left wing is horrible on economics, but not too bad on personal liberties. We libertarians are good on both of those areas, and each of those other sides thinks we're inconsistent. Because, you know, if you favor liberty in one area, you can't favor liberty in the other area. No, we're the only ones who favor liberty across the board. And I think it's very important that this message be gotten out. And I thank you for having me on your show, and, and, and we're doing the thank, Lord's work here. Th thank you for coming on, and, and I thank you all for joining us. Join us again next time for another eConversation. This has been eConversations, a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University. Support for the Double Dome podcast comes from the Sorrell College of Business at Troy University, where students become geeks, an acronym for globally aware, ethical decision makers, engaged with the business community, knowledgeable to compete, and successful in business and life. More information at troy.edu business.